Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Monkeypox. Take monkeypox seriously. This is a public health crisis. It is spreading rapidly. Keep this virus from spreading. I'm not going to sugarcoat the bad news. The worsening drought crisis across the West. The FBI. This is the FBI being used as a political weapon against your opponents. They can do it to you. The witch hunt continues. Stay tuned for updates. A lot of developments today. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views on a political trivia Thursday. We'll play in a little bit. American Communications is your category. Lots to talk about this hour. This has been a busy week. August is usually, you know, that's not an eventful time of year, but with uh, Liz Cheney getting a smackdown and uh we've got a smack up to talk about our friend state representative keith kidwell is in studio with us right now he represents uh beaufort and craven county district 79 keith welcome in it's always good to have you good to be here tom been a while it is a great delight to bring you in this afternoon because you have some big news that we get to break on our program related to uh, really all of eastern North Carolina. And the reason why we have this news to break is, A, we've got an airport that is perfectly uh, located to bring in a new industry, something that... Uh, I never suspected we would have here, but uh, tell us about uh, what we're going to see happen down in Washington, North Carolina, which is really going to affect all of eastern North Carolina. It is. This is going to reach all the way from uh, from really Wilson all the way to the Outer Banks. So what we've got is a, a situation where, by chance, after we got the uh, $20 million to renovate the airport, I went out to Dare County, knowing I was going to uh, run for office out there with the redistricting, and ran into an organization that uh, we got to talking, and, hey, we're looking for an airfield in North Carolina where we can do X, Y, and Z. I said, well, that sounds just like our airport. Why don't you come visit us? Uh, so, you know, we talked by, by phone and, and email a few times, and they decided they'd come out and visit, and they did, and they were just ecstatic at what we have at Washington Warren Field. Uh, now, what is this company going to do with Washington Warren Field? Well, so – Initially, the $20 million, as you know, we were renovating the airport, lengthening runways, more hangars uh, to, to be able to hang jets and that type of stuff. and Repaving this. Yeah, thing. repaving things, lighting it, the computer-guided landing systems. Uh, what we don't have there is a tower, and we don't flood. One of the few airports in eastern North Carolina that doesn't flood. And uh, so Accelevate came in, saw that, and they're like, look, we can do drone technology here where we can test – uh, you've great great location with proximity to the bombing ranges, to the military bases. We have an open corridor straight out to the Atlantic Ocean where we don't have to fly over any inhabited areas with drone technology. Uh, it also has access to the river and the Atlantic itself, which we're also going to have marine technology and drones, both boats and, boats and submarines, uh, as well as land drones. So we're going to be testing, eventually manufacturing, and training we're incorporating the businesses in the area. Uh, we're going to. We've already spoken to both colleges. Both of them are on board with that. Both colleges being ECU and Beaufort Community. Okay. All right. So that both of them are going to be. Uh, I'm, everybody we've talked to, Tom, from the FAA, uh, the military, the North Carolina Department of Aviation, are all just ecstatic because they're like we have been looking for some place that we could do 
what we have the ability to do in Washington, North Carolina. Will this be exclusively the the traditional drones that we see flying over neighborhoods that look like mini helicopters, or are we also talking about unmanned aircraft? Yeah, so actually we're going to have the capacity to handle up to 1,320 pounds of drone. Wow. Yeah, so that's, it's a that pretty, could, that pretty good size. That could lift me off the ground. <laughs> yes, it could. And, and actually that's some of the technology we'll be exploring and testing there is air ambulance. Where wow. they can go in behind, let's say, a hurricane or tornado line where they can't access with vehicles and literally pick somebody up uh, by drone and, and, and at least get them evacuated. Uh, also, I, the, the things you can do with drones is amazing. I was at a fire department meeting where they were talking about pipeline emergencies last week in, in Rocky Mount, and the gentleman doing the training is going around nationwide doing this, and he asked our fire departments, do you all have any drones? And they said no. I was like, you will soon. Hmm. <laughs> so. Well, you know, it was interesting. Just this last week when we, uh, Greenville hosted the uh, Little League World Series softball for the girls, you, you know, it was really interesting to watch that on ESPN and see the drone shots. Yep. I mean, it's something that we, we it's all around us, and a lot of times we don't even realize that we might be being observed or we're seeing a picture on camera, and it's, it's not out of a helicopter anymore. It's out of a drone. So, so t- it's, it's to tell you where this is heading, the name of the, the project, the secret name, which you, you do, you have the scoop on this. The press release will not go out until tomorrow morning, so you've got the total scoop on well, the story. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. It is Project Jetson. Jetson. Okay. George, as in George Jetson? As in George Jetson. That's exactly <laughs> right. And we're, we're going to be taking that technology that you saw on the Jetsons, and we're going to bring it into real-life application uh, and combine it with a general aviation airport as well as drone technology. So it's, it's, it's exciting beyond belief. It's going to help every business in eastern North Carolina. Things that you wouldn't think were drone-related. They love that we build boats in eastern North Carolina because they said it's the same skill set that you use for building drones. So eventually, let's look 10 years down the road. And I know a lot of this is speculative, but uh, you got to take the first step. 10 years down the road, what do you see Xelevate, the, the company that's uh, headquartered in Leesburg, Virginia, where do you see them, and where do you see the, uh, the the development down in Washington as it relates to drones? We're going to need a bigger airfield. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need more industrial buildings to uh, manufacture uh, drone technology. So you, d- manufacturing is down the road. It is down us. the road, yes. We're, we're actually uh, – I sent you the press release, and I, I don't remember the name of what they've called it, uh, but there, there's a uh, – facility that they want to build in washington right off the airport matter of fact we just acquired 107 acres uh, additional land on one end of the airport we're looking at 34 on the opposite end of the airport and we were buying that to allow for future expansion that was part of the 20 million dollar project well this drone technology came to being and just melded perfectly with what our plans were and they're looking at that saying well if that's zoned industrial which we have done uh we want it Hmm. You know, we want to build manufacturing facilities, testing facilities, and we've taken them places like to the waterfront. We've taken them to the colleges. Uh, we've taken them out to different buildings in our area, and they're looking at these and, okay, we can use this one to do indoor testing. We can use this one for conferences. You know, they're going to have a list that they'll hand to. Let's say Northrop Grumman wants to come test um, a drone at, at the Warren Field. What they'll do is they'll set them up with the motels, the restaurants, the caterers, the convention centers, everything that they need, including our airport. And we'll be renting, obviously, and charging money for our airport when they come in to run these tests. So we're talking to Keith Kidwell. A new industry is coming to eastern North Carolina. It's all about drones. Now, for people in eastern North Carolina to get 
a little taste and enjoy some excitement about this. I saw where you are are going to put it together an air and drone show down at the uh, Washington Warren Airport in December. Correct. December the 17th. Well, December 17th, because as you know, being in North Carolina, that is the celebration of the first flight. Exactly. So we're going to be, we're, we're billing this as North Carolina has been first in flight and we will be the first in the future of flight. So on December 17th, the vision that we have is to have the lieutenant governor, the speaker of the house, the mayor, uh, the county commissioners, myself, our senators, uh, Greg Murphy, Josh Dobson, who's our, our uh, secretary of, of labor, uh, at a section of the airport, and we're going to have the local restaurants. I'm going to try and talk to the people at Boss Hogs, Hog Heaven, King Chicken, Bill's Hot Dogs, and we're going to fly in the meals and land them on a on a stage <laughs> near these folks with drones <laughs> to show people how wonderful the drones and the things they can do. That 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 sounds like a a day that uh, is going to be a lot of fun. And when talking to uh, the East Carolina University and Beaufort Community College, when do they see them uh, introducing courses in, in this uh, field of uh, drone flight? This is going to be something, Tom, we're kind of hitting a flying target here, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, so what we do know is December 17th is our, our launch date, we're calling that. We're probably going to see some things happening because we already have companies th- throughout the country that are looking to come to our airfield. They've indicated that, been indicating it since they first heard it was possible. We just signed all the agreements. Uh, I think the schooling, we're probably looking at within the next 18 months, we're going to need the schools to start gearing up and, and turning out people who know how to operate drones. Who knew you have to actually have a pilot's license to fly some of these drones? Is that right? Some yeah. of the bigger ones. Yeah. Well, in a sense, that makes sense. Uh, you know, How is this going to affect general aviation that takes place down at uh, the airport now? And so that's the, the part of the excitement to this is we'll be the for, first airport to merge general aviation with drones. So what we'll be doing is installing a device that it's about the size of a a trailer off of a tractor trailer. And that box tells you every drone, private or public, that's in the air at any given time uh, within, I I think it's a 10-mile radius of the airfield. So that this way we know when we're bringing aircraft in, we don't have a drone that's going to interfere with the aircraft. So we'll be running that technology, which is already perfected and being used uh, up in Virginia at the Leesburg Field. So we'll bring that down here so that we'll have all that information so we don't have that. Let's face it. We're going to have to learn to combine aircraft yeah, with drones. Yeah, it's coming. It's well, I was, I was just thinking, is, is there – and you probably don't know the – maybe you do know the answer to this. But I would think at some point uh, you're going to see uh, all types of aviation have the technology – for them, for the pilot inside the plane, whether it's a single-engine general aviation airplane or a 747, that he is going to be able to detect a drone within a certain radius. Of right, and that's aircraft. actually what part of this trailer does, That this piece of equipment that they'll bring in, is it broadcasts that information to the aircraft in the air. Okay. okay. So that they'll actually have a live-time view of where there is any drone so that they won't run into it. Do you see a tower eventually being placed? They don't want a tower. Okay. Yeah, they actually don't want a tower. The new thing in airfields, from what I'm understanding, is that you don't use towers anymore, that they're going to be using more of the computer-guided systems than they will towers, and that's certainly one of the draws for the Washington Warren Field. Good good deal. This is, ex- this is exciting. This hey, is we're exciting. Talk- you know the big thing? We're talking 
thousands potentially of jobs in eastern North Carolina within the next five to ten years. What is the hundreds in the near future? What is the military's reaction to this? Military fell in love with it. We're we're in close proximity to three bombing ranges, and virtually every air uh, every military base in eastern North Carolina can reach us in a matter of minutes. You know they they use the Washington Airport right now for. Uh, bringing in the uh, V-22 Ospreys on a regular basis. Right. They're, they're over Washington nearly every day. Well, we see them here in Greenville a yeah. lot as well. Yeah. Well, they're yeah. going into Washington. They do touch and goes. They go in there. They land. They come right. out. You know, so they've been using FAIL for years, at least 10 years that I know of. Uh, and this is going to be part of what they'll be doing now is they'll be able to take the drone technology, come out of the Washington airport, and head out to the bombing ranges that are both, you know, we have land and sea ranges within short range of our airport. Uh, there's so many other things that can be used for firefighting technology. I, I was introduced to the fact that there's two children that graduated from Excelevate's classes up in Virginia. Uh, I say children, 17 and 19 years old, hmm. that are making about ninety thousand dollars a year. Wow! Flying drones and inspecting buildings and bridges. They just videotape the, the buildings and whatnot and deliver that back to the, the engineers, and they can inspect the bridge without hanging people over the side. Well, and you can see this is opening up all kinds of doors, but it also is going to be a, a great way to do things that are pretty dangerous now will make them pretty safe uh, down the road and, and it's happening right now. Well, think about this, Tom. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I have driven across the several bridges that cross the Pamlico Tar River. And on a regular basis, one or two lanes of the bridges are closed and they've got equipment hanging over the side where they're doing inspections and that right. type of stuff. We won't have to close the roads and bridges to go inspect right. a bridge. Right. That's you know that is a, and the bridges a you're problem. talking about are, are fairly tame as compared to some oh, yeah, of the bridges out at the outer banks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the bridges out there at the outer banks that somebody keeps breaking those and things go wrong. But is, yeah. is there is there uh, any other situations in the country similar to what we'll be doing in Washington? So the closest to they have a small one in Vermont, no nowhere near the size of what we have. The next closest one is the state of Washington. Okay. So we will be the premier East Coast, it sounds So like. according to Accelevate, we will be the tip of the spear in drone aviation and technology in the United States. That is exciting. Hey, listen, we've got to take a time out. Can you stay with us? Absolutely. Right. Uh, Clark, let's uh, take a time out. When we come back, I want to talk a different issue with uh, Representative Kidwell. That is a uh, big news that broke about the time we got off the air yesterday. Uh, that is uh, related to the 20-week uh, ban on abortion here in North Carolina. Judge William Osteen has said uh, that is now the law of the land. Let's talk about that when we get back. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Tom Lamprecht, and alongside is uh, Representative Keith Kidwell. We're talking about X-Elevate coming to uh, Little Washington, which uh, might not be little after uh, X-Elevate gets down here. It will be a uh, kicked off on December the 17th, 2022, with the Washington Air and Drone Show, we're talking about a new industry. We're talking about really uh, Washington Warren Airport could be the premier drone testing site in our country. Correct. Uh, one of the things that Keith was telling me during the break 
was uh, what this is going to cost the taxpayer. Go ahead and give us the so, bad news. Everything has good news. What's the bad always, news? Always two, two edges to the sword, right? So we, we did invest, and it was predetermined before we knew anything about this drone business that the, the Washington Warren Airport needed some work. So right. we had a, a stipend in the budget already, $20 million, and we knew that that was going to draw industry into Washington, it, it's also it was just necessary. The right. It's infrastructure. You have highways. You Absolutely. Need and that's airport. part of the government's yeah. job right there is right. infrastructure. That's right. a big part of what we do. Um, when we got together with, with Accelevate, we went through the whole process. We're going to have a cost involved on December 17th of that launch party, if you will. We'll have very little in the way of infrastructure that we need to add to get this up and running. And from now to December 17th, the actual cost to the taxpayers, zero. Not a Nothing. Zip. Not a dime. In fact, I don't think you'll have any complaints on that one. Washington Warren Field should go from a drain on the, the city of Washington to pumping money in. To pumping money. Well, now, and this is another part of what happened with what we had to do to get this, this drone system up and running, is the Washington uh, board became the Washington Airport Authority. Okay. So we have what now, it's, it's a bill that I got passed at the end of the session. That created the Washington Airport Authority. We're the only airport in the state of North Carolina that has this independent authority that still goes back to the city. The city still owns the land. If something happens with the airport, it goes back to the city. But the the airport is going to be an independent airport, totally independent of the city or state governance, that it can run itself like a business. Where are you on the implementation of the $20 million? Have all the improvements been completed? They're all underway, and I think... The plans, there's different phases of the plan. All of the plans are 100% complete. We've already taken delivery on steel. Uh, we're getting ready to actually put shovels in the ground here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see. We'll, by the time December 17th Big comes, we'll, yeah. we'll, have, we'll, we'll see it in progress. Yeah. Matter of fact, our night lighting, all of the runways are now 100% lit. So you can land 24-7 night lights. We've got the computer guidance system is, is being set up. So everything is starting to come together very quickly. And uh, honestly... A uh, gentleman that's running the airfield out there, Earl Malpas. Earl is just, he's an amazing man. He has done such great things in that airport already since he's been there. And now where this is going, it's unreal. I mean, he came to me with a vision over a year ago when we started working on the $20 million project, telling me how we could do all these great things and bring industry in. And, of course, you know how I am. We're bringing in business and industry. I'm all Let's over Let's go for it. it so. Let me change gears with you. I know you've only got a couple of minutes left with us because you've got some events you need to be at. But uh, Carolina Journal reported last night about the time we got off the air that U.S. District Judge William Olstein has vacated and dissolved his injunction against North Carolina's abortion law. That decision allows a ban on most abortions after 20 weeks to take effect. In other words, we are basically reverting back to the May 2019 uh, well, his his injunction that he put in place in May of 2019, saying that North Carolina's abortion law, 20 week ban, any any abortions after 20 weeks would would be illegal in North Correct. Carolina. Yesterday, he came back and reinstated that law, basically based on the Dobbs case and uh, the reversal of Roe v. Wade. He he said he had no other choice. I mean, we're we're happy with this decision. But he basically said, this is now, once again, the law of the land. Your your reaction? Shock. <laughs> I mean, that was really pleasant, my first. Pleasant shock. Ple- pleasantly shocked and surprised. Uh, you know, as, as you say, he was the one that did put that uh, that 20-week ban aside several years ago and totally disagreed with that. 
uh, you know, Roe v. Wade in, in its initial uh, phase was there was a limit to yes, abortion. Yes, there was. Yeah. Okay. And somehow over the years, the courts kept ruling that, no, you could not have any impediment whatsoever to abortion to the point, and, and you probably remember this argument back in the 90s, they, they called it the DX abortion where they would partially deliver the baby. Yep. yep. And then literally take a scissor and stick in the back of its head. Yeah. You know, well, well, then you had Ralph Northam up in Virginia saying, well, let's let the baby yeah. be born and then we'll decide. Well, n- never forget, Tom, that in North Carolina, uh, the Democrats, after Cooper vetoed the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Act, the Democrats failed to work with us, including four Democrat pastors, hmm. okay, men of hmm. God, who failed to vote with us to override the governor's veto for exactly what you're talking about, right. the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Act. The child survives the abortion disconnected from mom laying on a table right and they can kill it yeah okay now what they're going to tell you is well our hospitals don't do that no because hospitals don't do abortions the abortion clinics do the abortions abortions, not the hospital so when they tell you well that the hospitals don't do it we're not talking about hospitals but no it's a great thing that that he went and and put us back at the 20 weeks as i put on my facebook it's one more brick out of the evil wall of abortion there you go and we're going to continue on that track believe me Big time in the next session. Representative Keith Kidwell, I know you got to be out of here at 530. It's 530. I'll let Uh-oh, you run. Got to go. Thank you. Hey, Good to see you, Thank Tom. you, brother. Thank you. Thanks for all your hard Look work. Look forward to Keep seeing everybody on December 17th. December 17th, Warren Washington Airport, or Washington Warren Airport. Be there. Be there or be square. Uh, exciting news for Eastern North Carolina. Um, lots to talk about. I do want to get uh, to a couple of things uh, this afternoon. Let, let me. I want to come back to a Civitas poll. We'll get to that in a minute. You know, one of all the stories I saw today, this I thought was the most um, enlightening story related to the Mar-a-Lago situation, which you're all familiar with, the FBI going in and raiding the home, the residence of Donald Trump. Fox News is reporting, first of all, this is a twofold story. First of all, Fox News is reporting U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhart on Thursday ordered the Justice Department to re, uh, retack and uh, release a version, redact, I should say, and release a version of the affidavit that was used to obtain the FBI's search warrant for its raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. Reinhart, during the highly anticipated hearing in the West uh, Palm Beach Division of Florida said that the affidavit should not be kept under seal despite the Justice Department argument that the release would jeopardize future steps in the investigation and provide a roadmap for the probe. They further stated that the document ought to be kept under seal to protect the integrity of an ongoing law enforcement investigation that implicates national security. Uh, let me say a couple things. Yeah, this was uh, unsealed. It might reveal just how corrupt the DOJ is, and uh, the DOJ doesn't want that. I mean, if the American people lose all faith in our DOJ, which they're quickly losing faith, perhaps they'll lose all faith, then yes, perhaps it would have national security implications. The... Um, but the bottom line is, okay, this Judge Reinhardt has come out and said, okay, we need to release this, but you can redact it. In other words, you can black out certain things that you don't think the public needs to see or should see because that would somehow jeopardize our security. 
prepare to see this affidavit come out with nothing but redactions. I mean, it's going to be one sheet of nothing but black. It'll it'll have uh, something like uh, the date and, uh, you know, to his honorable Judge Reinhardt and then everything else, prepare to see it blacked out. I, I, in all honesty, I'm being a little facetious. I would suspect that it would be a conservative thing to say that 75% of this will be blacked out. You won't be able to read it. Um, Just the News has got a great story out, though, on this. They're reporting when it comes to the National Archives, history has a funny way of repeating itself. And legal experts say a decade-old case over audio tapes that Bill Clinton once kept in his sock drawer may have significant impact over the FBI search of Melania Trump's closet and Donald Trump's personal office. The case in question is titled Judicial Watch versus the National Archives and Records Administration. It involved an effort by the conservative watchdog group Judicial Watch to compel the archives to forcibly seize hours of audio recordings that Clinton made during his presidency with historian Taylor Branch. The case is most memorable for the revelation that Clinton, for time, stored the audio tapes in his stock drawer at the White House. The tapes became the focal point of a 2009 book that Branch wrote. U.S. District Judge Amy Berman Jackson Amy Berman Jackson in Washington, D.C., ultimately rejected Judicial Watch's suit by concluding there was no provision in the Presidential Records Act to force the National Archives to seize records from a former president. Did you hear that? (laughs) Again, U.S. District Judge Amy Berman Jackson ultimately rejected Judicial Watch's suit by concluding there was no provision in the Presidential Records Act to force the National Archives to seize records from a former president. But Jackson's ruling, along with the Justice Department arguments that preceded it, made some other sweeping declarations that have more direct relevance to the FBI's decision to seize handwritten notes and files Trump took with him to Mar-a-Lago. The most relevant is that a president's discretion on what are personal versus official records is far-reaching and is solely his as is his ability to declassify or destroy records at will. In other words, it's totally up to Donald Trump. Quote, under the statutory scheme established by the Presidential Records Act, The decision to segregate personal materials from presidential records is made by the president during the president's term and in his sole discretion, Jackson wrote in her March 2012 decision, which was never appealed. Quote, since the president is completely entrusted with the management and even disposal of presidential records during his time in office, it would be difficult for this court to conclude that Congress intended that he would have less authority to do what he pleases with what he considers to be his personal records, she added. 
The judge noted a president could destroy any record he wanted to during his tenure, and his only responsibility was to inform the archives. As to whether records a president concluded were personal can be forcibly seized after he leaves office, the court concluded it was unreasonable to force the National Archives to go get the tapes. Quote, because the audio tapes are not physically in the government's possession, defendant submits that it would be required to seize them directly from President Clinton in order to assume custody and control over them, Jackson noted. Defendant considers this to be an extraordinary request that is unfounded, contrary to the PRA's expressed terms, and contrary to traditional principles of administrative law. The court agrees. The defendant was the same Justice Department that authorized the raid on Trump's estate. Isn't it interesting how the rules change if it's a liberal Democrat in office versus a conservative? Jackson also concluded that a decision to challenge a president's decision lies solely with the National Archives and can't be reviewed by the court. If the archives wants to challenge the decision, that agency and the attorney general can initiate an enforcement mechanism under the law, but it is a civil procedure and has no criminal penalty. In other words, if you've got something you want to go get, it's a civil matter. It's not a criminal matter. The search warrant, the FBI enforced, sought two types of records, classified materials and records created during the Trump presidency. Trump has been adamant. The records he took to Mar-a-Lago were both declassified and deemed personal by him. Some government lawyers reach out privately to just the news in recent days, questioning the use of the FBI to collect presidential records, citing Jackson's ruling and suggesting it was a civil, not a criminal matter, where difference to Trump is required by law. On the classification issue, both George W. Bush and Barack Obama signed executive orders, which remain in force to this day, declaring that presidents have sweeping authority to declassify secrets and do not have to follow the mandatory declassification procedures all other government officials do have to follow. The Jackson ruling and the declassification powers have left some experts worried the FBI raid was a heavy-handed under current laws. You think? (laughs) Bingo! This is unbelievable. So you go back, and listen, This is uh, you can go back and read it at Just the News. Uh, you can probably, uh, and there are links there to this original decision by Judge Amy Berman Jackson. But uh, it, again, the name, of the, uh, the name of the case was Judicial Watch versus the National Archives and Records Administration. And, basi- and this is not ancient history. This was under Bill Clinton. Under Bill Cl- and 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 this was Judicial Watch's. Uh, it was after Clinton was out of office. They wanted to go get these tapes, and uh, this federal judge says, "No, you can't do that. You have no right to." <laughs> this is unbelievable. Not, not a surprise. Uh, you know, it's probably good news for Donald Trump that uh, obviously. And listen, as as this comes out, and the FBI is going to find themselves, the Department of Justice is going to find themselves. They're the ones that are breaking the law. They're the ones that are ignoring previous court orders, previous judicial precedents. Unbelievable. Hey, let's lighten things up and play a little political trivia, shall we? 561-8255. is the number to call. Your category is American Communications. 
We've got a great prize package, and uh, we'll have that as soon as we get back. Give us a call, 561-8255. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back in. Time for a little political trivia. Your category, American Communications. Prize package includes a free oil change for your car pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or at Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Also, a gift certificate from Fit for Life, including two free training sessions with a coach. A $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno for lunch or dinner. Mucho Bueno, real Mexican street food. A $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden, made from scratch goodies. Also, a gift certificate to the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Remember, if you or anyone in your immediate family have won recently, let 60 days pass before you play again. First up, from Emerald Isle, we've got Bruce on the line. Hey, Bruce. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. You ready to play? I am. All right, here's your question. Your category, again, is American Communications. 145 years ago, Thomas Edison wrote a letter to the president of the telegraph company and said, when answering this new invention of the telephone, it would be more appropriate to say hello than to say what Alexander Graham Bell had suggested. What did Alexander Graham Bell suggest people to say into the receiver when answering the telephone? Oh. oh. I really have no idea. I think he said something. His first words were something about uh, his assistant come in here or something like that. But, oh. Take a wild guess. Okay. Um, instead of hello, uh uh, can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me? That would be a good one. That is not it, though. That is not it. I didn't think so. Okay. Good guess, Bruce. Thanks for calling. 561-8255. Let's go to Al in Greenville. Hey, Al. Hey, bud. How you doing? Uh, I'm second. I'm good. So what do you think? What did Alexander Graham Bell suggest that people say into the receiver when they answered the phone? Which Thomas Edison said, nah, you might want to change that. I'm going to try something crazy. Ahoy! That's it! <laughs> that is it! <laughs> now, you had to have known that. Was that a wild guess? It's, no, it's just one of them weird info things that you kind of know. <laughs> well, you knew it. You hit it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, I guess he was a Navy fan during the Army-Navy games. I don't know. But uh, you got it, Al. Congratulations. Hang on the line because uh, we're going to get you uh, all those gift certificates in the mail and uh, we're going to get uh, Clark to get all your information. Stay with us. I'll be right back. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. First thing you should do after work. I turn on the radio. Check in with Tom and Benny. Got to know what's happening in my city. What's going on in my backyard. Things that are happening locally. I like the local news. Things that I don't hear everywhere else. I don't hear everywhere else. For the local news you want. Kept me informed for all of the local stuff, you know. It let me know what was going on in the local community. Eastern Carolina's news sources. News and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Quick look at your weather forecast. Tomorrow the rain comes in. Chance of rain tomorrow, 50%. Tomorrow night, 60%. Scattered showers and thunderstorms. Uh, I'm enjoying the temperatures. 
And we do need the rain. Saturday, again, a chance of thunderstorms. More in the morning on Saturday, chance of rain is 50%. So it looks like uh, we are going to have some rain showers this weekend. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Whether you're looking to spin your summer poolside, courtside, or greenside, Ironwood Golf and Country Club offers a variety of memberships tailored to fit your lifestyle with no initiation fee required. And remember, if you're headed to the beach, pack your clubs. Ironwood members receive reciprocal golf and dining privileges at the Beaufort Club and Beaufort and Compass Point Golf Club and Magnolia Greens located near Wilmington. Contact membership director Jenna Doyle. Her number is 252-752-4653. Join in the fun at Ironwood today, a part of the Renaissance Golf Group. Congratulations to Al Robel. He got it right. If Alexander Graham Bell had his way, when we answered the phone, we wouldn't say hello. We'd say ahoy. <laughs> you know, it was interesting when I was reading about uh, Thomas Edison wanting to use hello. Apparently, hello, for some, it's hard to believe, but apparently hello was not really a common greeting uh, back uh, 145 years ago which is hard to conceive considering we use it all the time now. Uh, Someone who's not going to say hello but say goodbye, George Costanza of Cable News, Brian Stelter, is uh, out at CNN. The George Costanza of uh, Cable News TV. How did the guy get the job to begin with is what I'd like to know. I mean, besides the fact that he carried the liberal water, some of these people that make it on these liberal cable news shows, their talent is so lacking, it's inconceivable that they'd be on national news. I mean, I, I hope he saved his money. I, I just do not, I, I don't see MSNBC picking up. I don't see a local outlet picking up George Costanza. I mean, really, uh, he, he is that bad. Not quite as bad as Al Sharpton, but he's right there in the same zip code. News and Observer is reporting Madison Cawthorn's troubles continue. Now the Federal Elections Commission continued uh, to let him know, you're in hot water, bud. Madison Cawthorn failed to disclose an additional $235,566 he gave his campaign in the most recent quarter beyond what he told them just three days earlier. How do you miss $235,000? Cawthorn already drew the regulatory agency's ire by failing to turn in his campaign finance report, which was due on July the 15th. He finally got it in this last Sunday. Had he not gotten it in on Sunday, it would have been uh, basically the um, elections uh, commission would have closed the books on him, and he'd have really been in trouble. As it is, he owes them something like seventeen thousand dollars in late uh, filing fines. Cawthorn submitted the report Sunday. Uh, yesterday, he realized, "Oops, I made a mistake." He recontacted them. What's uh, more interesting, too, is Cawthorn's original treasurer has – he quit shortly after Cawthorn lost his election to Senator Chuck Edwards. Uh, His treasurer was a guy named Thomas Dotweiler, and he – 
Cawthorn never replaced Dotweiler. He basically said, okay, I'll do it myself. But what's interesting about that is Dotweiler is still record, uh, in the, in the uh, Federal Elections Commission's on all their information, Dotwaller is still the treasury, uh, the treasurer for Madison Cawthorn because Ma- Madison Cawthorn never told them that he was gone and he was using himself to replace Dotwaller. So in other words, if Madison Cawthorn has done something illegal or possibly criminal in these reports that he's had to put into the Federal Elections Commission – Guess what? It's not going to be Madison Cawthorn that's going to get called on the carpet. It's going to be this Thomas Daltweiler. Oh, my. Madison Cawthorn is uh, a train wreck. I I know he had conservative values, but the guy was a train wreck. And uh, quite frankly, um, I'd much rather have Chuck Edwards representing that uh, congressional district in North Carolina than Madison Cawthorn. Uh, didn't really have a chance to get into a lot of the Civitas uh, um, polling that came out today. We can talk a little bit about more about this on tomorrow. But just as a highlight, covering the U.S. Senate race between Republican Ted Budd and Democrat Cherry Beasley, according to this new Civitas poll, they are in a dead heat. I mean, a dead heat. Both garnered 42.3% of voter support. Uh, 12.6% of North Carolinians remain undecided. 2.7% support a Libertarian or Green Party candidates. But both Ted Budd and Cherry Beasley come in exactly at 42.3%. So, uh, yeah, it's a dead heat. Interestingly, um, Mitch McConnell came out today and was basically saying, well, uh, Republicans might not retake the uh, U.S. Senate like we thought just a few months ago. Uh, and re- because, you know what, Republicans uh, under Mitch McConnell's leadership, uh, you're not doing a good job selling yourselves, i just saying. Hey, we'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.